welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is a July mailbag. Big announcements for the Potter inbound, so make sure you stay tuned in case you dip out right after the intro, which may be your style. I don't know. I don't make the rules. And with me this week to extol the absolute benefits of cargo shorts and new balances, it's David Newman. Look, it's just practical, all right? I don't make the rules. How often have you worn, like, zip-off cargo shorts this oh, is what i want to know god zero times uh if i ever wear those I, th- I think i told you this already but just like if you ever see me wearing those all white new balances just slap the shit out of me in case you're not tracking uh there are some big life announcements that david and i have had since the last time we actually spoke live and like live and by meaning that we pre-recorded the other shows uh in in advance of our children being born Yes. Um, and so we are both now officially fathers uh, and our daughters, man, we must do everything together because uh, <laughs> David had his daughter first. And then my daughter said, oh, hold my beer. Uh, and she came a day later, even though they were supposed to be a week apart. So uh, literally the day after David was uh, was in the hospital, I was in the hospital with my wife. Uh, it's pretty wild. <laughs> Fucking wild ride, man. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been crazy. But yeah, they obviously just knew that we needed to be going through all of this exact same shit at the exact same time and that there was no reason for you to wait another week uh, in order to get on this train. Yeah, none whatsoever. Um, And and it was great because now, you know, the girls will be in the same grade. We can just buy one plot of land and build a (laughs) duplex on it. And and it's gonna be it's gonna be good times. But yeah, that was actually in early June. We little little peek behind the curtain. We actually pre-recorded uh, almost all of Rewatch Month so that we could get that out in June and take some time off and be uh, be with the girls. But but yeah, now we're back. We, it, this is live. It is indeed Friday. It's a weekend edition, a, a mailbag for the Better Rivals podcast, and we've got a big announcement before we jump into the questions. We are moving the podcast to Blue Wire. This will be our last episode on SB Nation, on Niners Nation, and really uh, our time with SB Nation as an inaugural podcast of their podcasting strategy. Um, it really has been fantastic. I mean, it, it started with David Fuchillo, who was the editor of Niners Nation, and he's he's still a, a good friend, and, and we love David. And then now with Kyle uh, in the editor role, it, it has been just a really good time. And we've done a lot of wonderful things. I mean, it's been about two years. That I feel like the pod got a really solid loyal listener base you may be among them and and we will always be forever grateful for the time that we've spent with vox media and, SB, and sb nation and the fans that we've acquired as a result um we wanted to kind of move to a place where we'd have more control over the entire feed um it, it, for you what does this mean like day to day if you're subscribed to the feed probably nothing if you're subscribed you're going to still stay subscribed we're going to do a, a transfer behind the scenes that everything should should work over, including the, the old episodes. We think those are going to transfer over as well. But any new episodes, including our ski month episodes, which are going to start in, in a week or two, are going to be on the new feed. If you're subscribed, you've got to do nothing. If you're not subscribed, then I would invite you to subscribe. That way you can grab the <laughs> stuff. Uh, and, and on that feed, it will be just our show. We won't have any other cross-pollination, but we will indeed have access to all the wonderful podcasters and podcasts that cover the 49ers that are a part of the blue the blue wire network so you might see some crossover pods with chris biederman from candlestick chronicles he's a friend of the pod eric crocker is also over there he's another friend of the pod so you might hear uh, them come on the show every now and again we might do some some cross promotion with them but we still have our patreon you're still going to get your videos on the patreon to to review what it is that we're covering and 
And so it, it may not mean a lot to, to you in terms of the day-to-day. You're still going to hear our annoying voices. You're still going to get lots of Daddington Corner. Um, it's just going to be with a, a different network and Blue Wire instead of SB Nation. Yeah, I mean, the most that you that you might notice is a new logo, like on the top of the the podcast artwork or something like that. But it, it should be business as usual for us. And like you said, it's just really um, something that we wanted to do to make sure that we just continue to have control over what we're doing and and make sure that we can kind of bring you guys the best content and the stuff that we enjoy getting after and and bringing to you guys. And so, um, yeah. Otherwise, it's uh, like you said, business as usual. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get these whiskeys ready to go. Um, I've got some, some Angel's Envy, which despite their branding, I actually kind of enjoy. I, I really didn't want to like their whiskey, mostly because it looks like an Affliction t-shirt. It really does. And I don't, I don't like it. For the, I want to dislike it. But it's yes. not bad, actually. It's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty decent little, uh, little sipping whiskey. I like it. I, I have not had it. And for that exact reason, just like I look at that bottle and it's like, no, nah, I'm not sure I want to be associated with that. I don't know. I don't yeah, think that's for me. It, it does. It does feel like when you take off the affliction shirt, there's like an Ed Hardy shirt <laughs> underneath it. You know, like that's what it's going to taste like. And, and it's actually quite nice. I've got the, the port wine oh, finish God. or port cask finish. It's, it's delicious. So let's let's bring up your beverage of choice. It, it's been a while since we've actually been in front of a mic. Let's let's talk some news and let's talk about the name on everyone's lips. And that is Jamal Adams. Several questions about Jamal Adams, but this one from Young Man Grumpy on Twitter probably sums it up best. Is trading for Jamal Adams a good idea? Flat out. Let's start there, David. Is it a good idea? Uh, maybe. P- probably not, I think, is probably where I'm at right now. It's not, it's not a clear-cut no, I yeah, think, is, exactly. is the thing. Whenever you're going to get a player of that caliber at a position as important as the one that he plays, you've got to consider it. It's a little bit like the Tom Brady situation with Jimmy Garoppolo. It's like, yeah, you have to consider it. Maybe eventually you move off the spot. But Jamal players, J- Jamal Adams is really good. He's really, really good. And he would do a lot of wonderful things for a secondary that, I don't know if you guys remember the Super Bowl, but, I mean, safety <laughs> or corner <laughs> or defensive back, you know, there's, there's definitely area to improve there especially because Jaquaski Tart is a free agent after the season. Right. I, I think, yeah, that's absolutely the, the best place to start is that, like, he's a fantastic player and he plays an important position. Um, and uh, it's a position where you can never have enough good players, right? I mean, the 49ers um, certainly could use another safety, um, but just, you know, good defensive backs in general. This is a league that is only going to trend, you know, more and more towards throwing the ball, having a bunch of receivers out on the field and you just need as many guys as you can find who can cover well on the back end. And, and so absolutely when you have a, a player of this caliber on the market, um, it would be irresponsible of Lynch and um, Shanahan not to like look into this and, and see if it's something that can work for him. It just, I, I don't know that there is a clear, scenario where it does work for them and and you ultimately find a solution that does make sense for your team yeah ultimately the constraints for the 49ers are that they have just 11.97 million in cap space currently that's with all of their draft picks except for charlie warner signed um i don't know maybe those third percentile arms are preventing him from grabbing the pen Uh, you you know it's like a t-rex trying to put on a cardigan you know or a t-rex trying to put on a full coat of paint on a house you know there's just there's just a line where he can get to and that's it. And, and I don't know, maybe this is why, why Charlie Warner is being delayed in signing because a six-round tight end from Georgia 
I don't, I don't know that my dude's going to be holding out for a whole hell of a lot at this Come point. Come on, my guy. Yeah. <laughs> you're a be, you're a, at best a backup fullback. Like, what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> but you know what? Hey, you got. I always respect a player trying to get more. Maybe he's trying to get just a little bit more guaranteed. Respect to you, Charlie Warner. Um, but, you know, maybe you need some go-go gadget arms to grab that pen. But point is, that contract is not going to eat in a whole heck of a lot into their cap space, considering where Charlie Warner was drafted. And, and so you've got that constraint. But, but you've also got the constraint, which is a very real constraint, salary cap. Um, and, and you've also just kind of got this idea of draft capital being like, man, the Niners felt what not having draft picks was like this year. In, a, in an area, in, in an era where you have built a good roster, you're paying that roster accordingly. Now the roster building shifts a little bit, whereas before you could pay people a lot of money. You could, play over, you could pay over market for a fullback. You could pay over market for a kicker. Now those de- it's not as easy to pay over market for things. And so how do you replenish cheap labor with draft picks? But if you keep trading those draft picks away, then you, you cut off your supply of cheap labor you don't have the salary cap to sign free agents and you're at a bit of an impasse. You're in no man's land. You're effectively the LA Rams. And, and that's not what I think the Niners want to become. And, and those are some very real constraints. Yeah, I, I think you, you do worry a bit about a roster that becomes a little top heavy at that point, right? You have, uh, sure, a bunch of names at the top of that roster. You look at, you know, you pull up over the cap and you see who they're paying big money to. And and a lot of the names that are going to show up on that list are like, yeah, these are good players, players that you want to have around. But when you're consistently making those decisions to go and get a high price player, that's going to be among the highest paid players at his position, even if, you know, again, it's not right away because of him still being on his rookie deal. That's going to be the reality if you hang on to him beyond that. Um, and you're losing your ability to to kind of replenish that roster with cheaper labor that becomes your depth, right? We know that injuries are inevitable in the NFL. Like there's no team um, that's going to be able to completely avoid that. And when you become a top heavy team, sure. If you happen to get a lucky year where all of those good players at the top of your roster stay healthy, you're probably going to do pretty good things, right? And you're going to be in a pretty good situation. Um, but all it takes is one of the, one or two of those guys to go down. And if you don't have that depth that you're developing behind them to be able to step in and, and be able to at least give you something there and not immediately step into a replacement level player or worse, right at, at that spot, um, especially some in some of your key positions, like then you're in a world of hurt and, and you have a couple of those key injuries and your season is tanked and, and there's no chance that you can kind of overcome that. And so I think you want to be able to be in a spot where, yes, they've built a good roster. We know that this is a team that can make it to the Super Bowl. They just did it last year. You need to keep bringing in those young players and developing so that when you have a player that comes in and you, okay, decide that you're not going to be able to pay him, you can move on and, and go to that next guy up and, and still not be um, in a terrible position where you're scrambling. But humor me for a second, because I still think that even though there there has not been more than a rumor, really, about the 49ers' interest in Adams, and, and there hasn't been more than Jamal Adams, you know, kind of liking some 49ers' Instagram posts or whatever the case may be, which we know from Antonio Brown that that is stuff that we love to read about on the internet but may not have any substance behind it. What ultimately would it take for, if the Niners made a move for someone like Jamal Adams, where, where you look at the move and you're like, okay, I get it. Like that, that I feel like makes sense for the Niners based on where they're at, based on the fact that Adam said that a new deal is not required. 
and he's got a reasonable cap hit in 2020, just 3.59 million. And then his fifth year options just shy of 10 million being that, you know, you're getting two years of control on a really good defensive back at an area of need. What, what kind of move, what kind of thing could the Niners put together that would make you look at it and be like, all right, I get it. Respect. Yeah. I mean, so there, there are, there are, Things that I think you could throw out, I just don't know how likely any of the, those are, right? So I, I think the first one that, that you would go to in my mind is like, if you can get them to take other players, right, and not give up any draft capital, we just, like, we rarely see those type of deals in the NFL. Like, you just don't get, especially when a big name, you know, player that that is of the caliber, Jamal Adams, like, teams aren't giving up that kind of player for you to ship them two or three, like this ain't Madden, you know, you can't just like ship four or five scrubs and get Jamal Adams and, and be fine. Right. So I think those player for player deals are, um, are pretty rare and I think are going to be difficult to pull off. And so I think you're, you're going to have to be in a situation where you give up some draft capital. And I think you're just, I mean, really are hoping for almost a situation like you fell into with Jimmy Garoppolo, right. Where just something about the situation, um, for Adams and the Jets become so toxic that they just want to get rid of them and, and are able to take, um, you know, just kind of like whoever sends me the first offer, you know, and, and I don't care what it is. Like, let's just get him out of here. Um, because I, I don't think you can say by any stretch that like his value is low. It's not like he's coming off a bad season or, or has some sort of other circumstances around him as a player that would be like, okay, I'm going to buy low on this guy. Like, no, you're not, you're not really doing that. So, um, yeah, I, I think those are kind of the scenarios, but I just don't know how that ends up happening and being the resolution. All right. So my dream of sending Solomon Thomas and Dante Pettis, uh, <laughs> and a ham sandwich to the jets for someone like Jamal Adams. All right. You're, you're putting the kibosh on that. I get it. But what about the idea of a, like a two year rental where you eventually flip Adams for picks afterwards in like a tag and trade scenario where effectively you do you'd say okay I'm giving you a first round pick but I'm also giving you these other players so I'm not going to give you two first rounders like what was the deal for Jalen Ramsey because Jalen Ramsey I think is probably the closest comp you look at other good DBs Darius Slay Marcus Peters they were had for like third and fifth rounders or a fifth rounder I don't know that the caliber of those players quite matches or the age of those players quite matches I think Jalen Ramsey is a pretty good comp and I, I do think the going rate for someone like Jamal Adams is probably going to be something like two first rounders. And, and so let's say the Niners are like, look, we can't give you two first rounders. What we can give you is a first rounder and these players. And maybe for whatever reason that works out. And then the Niners end up, you know, kind of flipping him or letting him walk in free agency. And then you get a compensatory pick. That's, that's the only other scenario I could see. It presumes a lot of things happening. You get a trade partner for him. Jamal Adams continues to be good. Because he could come into this system and just not be as good, and then his value is depressed, and you don't get as much back. Um, but with that scenario where you're basically kicking the first rounder just a little down the line, and hopefully recouping that in some way, uh, where Jamal Adams basically becomes the Brandon Cooks of DBs, and he's traded for repeatedly, um, you, you know, would would something like that be palatable, and would that make sense for a team that's kind of in win now before they have to do more extensive rebuilding in a year or two? Yeah, I mean, I think I, if you could get him for a single pick. Um, even if that pick was a first rounder, I think it, it becomes something you, you definitely have to start considering more seriously, right? Like even if it's a first rounder, um, it's, it's going to be tough to say, I mean, we know just the inherent, um, 
risk of draft picks, right? And just like the unknown, I guess, is is kind of a better way to put it of, of just like even guys at the top of the draft, you know, Solomon Thomas taken um, in as a top five pick. You you don't always know that those guys are going to pan out. And so um, it's trading a first rounder, which you would hope is going to be for the 49ers, a late first rounder. Um, the likelihood that you're going to find a player of Jamal Adams caliber, like at that spot, if we're talking like, you know, 2021 first, um, you're probably getting the better end of the deal, right? If you get Jamal Adams in that scenario. And so, yeah, I, I think that's kind of the line that I would draw. If I can give up a single draft pick, even if that's a first rounder, um, I'm probably pulling the trigger on that. The point at which it becomes multiple firsts or even um, where you're giving up, you know, a, a significant chunk of your draft coming up next year, um, I think that's going to be something that gives me pause where you just you need bodies that you're constantly bringing in here you just can't keep taking these chances that your your one or two players that you id and think are going to be the guys are just that that that's going to consistently hit forever yeah i think and and unless the jets are enamored with someone like solomon thomas i I think then the niners are priced out of the adam sweepstakes because i think other teams other worst teams that have more draft capital are going to say yeah look we'll give you two first that's cool We'll give you two first and Jamal Adams. We will also give you a new contract, even though you don't want one. And, and so at that point, I think the Jets are like, yeah, cool. Everyone's everyone's happier here. I think ultimately that's the thing is that this isn't just a, a bilateral discussion between the Niners and the Jets. Yeah. This is also the other 30 teams saying, wait, if he's on the block, I've got two first. So I've got two first and a fourth. So I've got two first and a third um, for, for someone of his caliber. And that's ultimately why I think this this likely doesn't happen because in a bidding war, the Niners lose. And I don't think they should get into a bidding war. But in, in a controlled environment where it is one pick and, and maybe some other players, uh, hell yeah, you have to consider it. And I think it'd yep. still be a good deal for the Niners. All right, let's talk a little bit about running backs because the other big news, of course, is Raheem Mostert. Raheem Mostert has requested a trade because why not? This is the <laughs> most leverage my dude is probably going to have in his career. And that hurts my heart deep down. It really does. Uh, he, he's a, a 28-year-old running back under contract for two more years, when he's free of his 49er shackles, he will be in his age 30 season, but he's coming off the best year of his career. He was a pivotal piece of the Super Bowl run. And now he's like, I don't even want a big money contract. I just want to be paid like the Tevin Coleman's of the world. Imagine that aspiration. I just want to be paid like the Tevin Coleman's of the world. And the Niners are like, I don't know, shoulder shrug emoji hit me. So like what, what ultimately from Matthew Barden on Patreon says, ultimately, like, is there a market and, and why is Bill O'Brien going to be dumb enough to give us a first round pick for Mostert? Uh, because I imagine that's basically the only way we give into his trade demand. Right. I, I mean, that's kind of the thing, right? Is like you, you absolutely cannot fault Mostert um, for being like, hey, I, I want to find someone, whether it's here or elsewhere, um, that's going to pay me more than, you know, the special team salary that I currently have here. Um, the problem is actually finding someone willing to do that. And, and it just, um, unfortunately is not a reality that is likely to play out for him. I mean, you have, uh, now in the running back market, finally, like top running backs in the NFL, finally kind of struggling to get paid. Right. And like teams, teams kind of largely, 
smartening up and and not being willing to give these guys big money and so when it kind of trickles down to the the mosters of the world who had one good year um on a team that ran the ball well regardless of who they put in the backfield um not exactly like a a lot of leverage that you're gonna have there like um you know if i'm the 49ers i'm like yeah go ahead and seek a trade like good luck man um i don't know exactly what you expect to find out there yeah, the thing is, and what sucks for most of it is like you think about the the marketplace of where you want to be as a running back, and it's the 49ers. Like right. that's the team that that's the market for running backs. Like this is it. You're right. in it, dude. You're the one that's they're the one that's paying Devin Coleman money, right? Yeah, they're exactly. The they're the ones that are four and a half, exactly. five million dollars or whatever. They're the ones paying juice check over like over market value, right? They're the ones who are continually paying these contracts. You're in that spot. You're already here. It's hard to suck more blood out of that rock <laughs> because you're just you're just here, my dude. It just it's it's very very difficult to find a market when you are firmly implanted in that market. I mean, Green Bay maybe because they're trying to turn into the 49ers of the North, um, and 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 that's maybe a market that you can get to. But they've already got backs. They've got that covered. I, th- I think they're going to be okay. And ultimately, I think this is not going to play out well for Raheem Mostert because he's got the deck stacked against him. Not only does he not have a ton of leverage, but holding out is a much more difficult strategy now because of the new CBA. So the new CBA increases fines for holdouts, and critically, it makes the fines mandatory. Where before a team could say, oh, you're back. All right, we're cool. Yeah, we paid you, whatever. We're good to go. No big deal. We'll go ahead and waive your fines to not create additional animosity. The team no longer has that option under the current CBA. And if you miss five days of training camp, you lose an accrued season. That means that you lose a season towards your pension. That means that you lose a season towards any kind of you know free agent uh, status that you might get, which I think at this point, most of it's already uh, reached the free agent. Like I've, I've got enough seasons there. Yeah. Um, but there's interesting things about whether or not your contract tolls or not, whether or not basically the Niners still keep two years if he doesn't get an accrued season. There's a lot of other complications that make holding out quite a bit less desirable for a player like Mostert. So even the one power play that players had in their pocket before, which was the holdout, has been really mitigated in this new CBA. So he, he doesn't have a lot of tools. He doesn't have any more like shots to shoot, frankly. Like, I mean, let's be real. The dude is not good enough to hold out. Like... Like there's no leverage. He's getting paid three point one million. That's like three point one million more than they should probably be paying him. Like he's already making more money than a player of his caliber probably should be getting from an NFL team. Easy, and it sucks. Easy. Like, like because on on the one hand, like uh, my me as a human wants Raheem Mostert to get every fucking cent that he can from an NFL team. And like, I I would love for him to like find a couple extra million from some team and, and get paid. Um, it's just like not likely going to happen for him. Like, even if like the, really the best case thing that he can hope for is that he essentially has enough goodwill built with the 49ers that they're like, okay, we'll just give you something because we're feeling nice today or something like that. Like we, we, we want you to be happy. We want you to be a part of the team. And so like, I'm going to give you a little bit, but there's not much room for him to go up. There's not much difference right now between him and somebody like Coleman already. Um, and it would just be, it would be really dumb and set a really dumb precedent for the 49ers to like give him 
um, a, a new contract or something like that and make him uh, the highest paid back on the team. It's like you had a, a half season stretch that was pretty good. Like why, why do we need to pay you right now? Yeah, and there's there's just an abundance of skill set at the running back position by and large. And this is yeah. the thing that teams are coming to terms with is the fact that Tevin Coleman was a free agent. He was readily available. Jeff Wilson is an undrafted free agent. He was readily available. Jarek McKinnon was a free agent, also readily available. Jamichael Hasty, undrafted free agent. Sal- Salvan Ahmed, undrafted free agent. Raheem Mostert, regular free agent. Matt Breida, undrafted free agent. There's a pattern here, which is there's an abundance of talent there, and that means that you don't have to pay a ton of money to keep that. But I think that if this is re- if this is resolved positively for both Mostert uh, and the Niners, it may be in not giving him a new contract, but maybe guaranteeing his salary. Because right now it's not guaranteed. But because he played all 16 games last year, his bonuses are effectively likely to be earned. So they currently count against the cap. If he were to be cut for some reason, he would only see the percentage of checks that he got for playing in those games. So if he gets cut after week uh, eight, then he only sees eight weeks of game checks and eight weeks of roster bonuses. So the team could basically say, look, this is already counting against our cap. The, the goodwill we will show you is fully guaranteeing your salary for this year, maybe even guaranteeing it for next year and, and giving him some security but not taking an additional monetary or cap hit. That's how. That's the bone I think the team may throw him. Yeah. Because it, while two million doesn't sound like a lot, um, I mean you're you're taking pennies out of the kittle fund, and, and I know the team is is looking at that kittle fund and, and maybe the Jamal Adams fund and saying Mostert an extra two million. Maybe that's the two million that gets us over the hump with Kittle. Maybe that's the two million that gets us over the hump with Jamal Adams or allows us to get Jamal Adams. And those are the decisions you have to make when you're bumped up against that salary cap. Right. And again, this is already a team that is paying more money out. Once you include um, Juice's contract into the mix, that is paying more money to running backs than basically any other team. I think the Jets with Le'Veon's contract might be the only team um, that, that are paying out more than the 49ers right now. And so... Yeah, it's not a position that they really should be looking to just like throw extra change at, right? Like again, they have more important players um to go. And and the 49ers position honestly should be like go look for a trade, like we're happy to facilitate that. If there's like if, if honestly if we can get something for you in return, like that's going to be fantastic because at the end of the day, like if he's not on the team this year, they're going to be fine. And we're, we're not going to notice they're going to find other production at the running back position and, and just keep chugging along like they would. So Hannes Comoro on Twitter asked, do you think that Lynch Ahan learned from, or will learn from the most situation that you shouldn't pay running back running backs much? Is that what they're learning right now? Like, Hey, we're actually going to hold this close to the vest. We've got other talent. Um, and the juice and McKinnon deal, maybe those become the aberration um, or do you think that this is uh, just a- an aberration and they're not really learning anything? This is just how they're treating Mostert. Yeah, I think it's probably too early to say. Like, again, Mostert doesn't have a lot of leverage, and so I think it's it's a little bit of a different situation from them um, being in a spot where they don't really have guys under contract, and what do they do in that situation, right? Do they? Uh, what happens in the situation where they need to add players at this spot do they go out again and identify, you know, one or two players and say that we have to have these guys and they go out and pay above market rate? Um, or do they learn that like, hey, we can we can plug in basically whoever back here. Like we're, we have a good 
uh, system and, and running backs coach that can identify talent at this position. Like we were confident in our ability to get guys late in the draft, undrafted free agency, you know, get um, cheaper free agent players in the mix there and, and know that we're going to be okay because we know how to identify players that are going to work well in our system. Um, until they're put in that situation, I don't know that we can really answer that. I don't think the Mostert situation tells us a whole lot about whether they've learned from those big running back contracts or not. Yeah, and for me, it's less about learning about the running back position per se and more about really adjusting how they're paying players and how freewheeling they are with money when they're up against the cap. I do think that the Juice and McKinnon deals were, they were okay with paying above market because they had all the extra space. Right. It was less about the position and more about the space. And now they're running up against a situation where they don't have much space and they have some contracts they need to sign. And so now I think the DeForest Buckner decision was cap influenced, not player decision influenced. And I think that this as well is not role or player influenced, it's cap influenced. So, so I think what we're seeing is that they're just reacting to the reality of being up against the cap and less so understanding something new about paying the running back position. Because if, if they were granted, you know, like $30 million tomorrow, they'd probably go and try and sign a running back for 28 of those million. <laughs> so continuing on the running back position though zach van dyke on twitter asks who leads the running back room in rushing yards this season go dude i i uh i'm gonna go with mckinnon i just want it i just want it to be mckinnon at this point um i don't know like uh probably not comeback player of the year but yeah i just i just think that like um obviously missing two years due to injury it's very very difficult to know what kind of player that he's going to be um even if he's fully healthy this season but um you know it was a guy regardless of the contract that we were excited about adding right like i think he's a talented player and and if he can get back to the same type of uh production you know that he showed when he was in minnesota there that got us excited about adding him to the team in the first place um, I think he's he could be the, absolutely the best running back on the roster and, and start to steal some of those touches and and um, you know really kind of take the lead um, among that group there. But uh, yeah, I don't know whether he'll get the, the chance. I, I want it to be McKinnon though. I'm gonna go with Devonta Freeman. Uh, he's not on the roster yet, but there's still time. Oh, fuck off. And <laughs> depending on how this works out with Mostert, I mean they could uh, they could Navarro Bowman Mostert. Like, because you remember what happened with Bowman. Bowman was unhappy about sitting and, and basically getting reduced snaps. Yep. And he basically got mad, went into the, the GM's office and said, fine, if you're not going to play me, then cut me. And they were like, we love you, but we respect you enough to respect your decision. You got cut. And, and Bowman actually came out a, a little while ago and said, you know, that was probably a mistake. And I think he's probably right. <laughs> but... But they could absolutely say, yeah, you know what? We respect you. We respect your wishes. If you want us to cut you so you can go find that deal on your own, go ahead. And if they do, then Devonta Freeman, come on down. You're, you're the next running back on. There's a bunch of you out there. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, obviously it's a joke answer. But I, I do think it's probably going to be between um, Mostert, McKinnon, and Coleman. I don't think it'll be Coleman. And so for me, I think if, if everything resolves itself with Mostert, it may be Mostert. But if McKinnon ends up coming on, I, th- I think you're probably right. I think it ends up being McKinnon. All right, now we get to the other off-season questions. Justin Horvath on Patreon asks, when guys go to Camp Jimmy, do you think they just do similar workouts as they did in practices? Or do you think that Kyle may have given Jimmy a quote-unquote suggestion? 
for things to work on in case he gets together with the backs, tight ends, and receivers. And obviously this is poking at the fact that the coaches can't have contact with players when they're on their off times. So they can't coach them. Um, but do you really think that there's no, no coaching, no suggestion going on in these dead zones? Uh, no, no, I, I, uh, <laughs> I do not think that's the case. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, it's hard. I mean, I honestly couldn't say for sure. Um, it would be something that I think would probably be better answered by like a beat reporter or something like that. Who's, who's around the team a little bit more and, and maybe at those workouts. But I think, uh, my guess and expectation would be that it's, yeah, probably, pretty similar just maybe a, a, a little bit looser version of what the team is going to do in like a mini camp or start a training camp like I imagine they've obviously got like the install stuff from last year and and uh it at worst you know they should have all of that information and they're probably going to go through a lot of that same stuff and um I mean a lot of these guys have been around the team for at least you know a couple years now so I think um, yeah, you're, you're probably doing similar things that you would be doing in a more structured environment. And, and you're just, um, probably focused a little bit more on just like timing and getting rhythm with these guys and, and kind of making sure that as a quarterback, you're on the same page with everyone. Yeah. This is where teams that have a consistent institutionalized system are going to be leaps and bounds ahead from teams that don't, especially with the impact of, not ha- not knowing whether or not there's going to be a season, right? And all this downtime. And, and it, when you have a, a player and a team that's been in a system for a couple of years, they know the drills, they know the coach points. That's where really these player-only sessions begin to shine. It's, it's when your brand new first year, new offensive coordinator, new position coach, new head coach, new system, that you really are at a disadvantage. And so this being the, you know, the fourth year of Shanahan, but it being the effective, you know, third off season, especially with a lot of downtime that Jimmy had, I think it's probably going to be um, a, a looser form of what the team does regularly. Yeah. All right. Jan Bucks on Patreon asks, what do you expect from Trent Taylor? He was Garoppolo's favorite target when he played, uh, but how's his healing process? And will we bet that he is on the 2020 roster if healthy? Man, I I still believe in Trent Taylor a little bit. It's it's getting tougher for sure um, because again, it's another situation where one you just don't know if he's going to stay on the field to begin with, and and if he is, like, is he the same? You know, going to be the same player that we saw in the stretches that he was fully healthy, right? Um, and especially during I think the the one that stands out right is that five game stretch when Garoppolo first came over um, after the trade, right? Was probably kind of his best stretch as a 49er. And so I do think that there's an element of Taylor being a, a player that does things that fits well with what Garoppolo likes and, and what he's comfortable with and, and what he throws well. Um, and so I could absolutely see him still carving out a role, right, and, and being able to win um, a spot on the roster and get those slot targets and, and snaps in there. But it's a wide receiver group that is becoming, you know, more and more crowded than it was when he first got there. And there's just more competition. There's more guys that are comfortable playing in the slot. They've added other types of slot players, you know, since then. And so it's, um, it's possible that they're maybe just going in another direction offensively with, with kind of that role and and the type of player that they want there. Um, So I think there's definitely a lot of questions around whether that he can, but I, I do very much like still believe in Trent Taylor, if he's healthy, being a viable like quality player and and part of this wide receiver group i don't think you're alone in the love for trent taylor david i think the team loves trent taylor too and and if we know anything about the team it's that when they like a player they will give him more of the benefit of the doubt and lean towards keeping him on the roster than not 
hello, CJ Beathard. <laughs> so the so I do think he's going to be on the roster in 2020. Is he going to play a full season? I don't know. You know, I do think that that he is he's a more diminutive wide receiver, and and there is and he gets hit a lot. And he's had, uh, you know, even when he was healthy before the foot injury, he had concussions and he had concussions because he got <laughs> whipped around real good. Um, and, and especially if he's going to be returning kicks, he's being exposed to more injuries. I'm not saying it's a guarantee that he's going to be injured, but I think given his career thus far, you kind of have to assume he's going to have to prove to us that he can stay healthy. And until then, the assumption is that he's not going to be healthy. So I, I think that if the question is, if, if, assuming health, I do think he's going to be one of, Jimmy Garoppolo's favorite targets, but I do think that, that, that Shanahan is moving more towards this amorphous positionless offense, which is great. Debo Samuel, is he a wide receiver as your running back? I don't know. Jalen Hurd, is he a wide receiver as your running back? I mean, we know, but th- this is the kind of confusion that, uh, that Shanahan wants to instill. And all of a sudden, if you put Trent Taylor out there, I mean, it's probably going to be a pass. Like, and so I think that's yeah. the kind of confusion that, that Shanahan's trying to create and and that means that Trent Taylor's still going to get opportunities in pass heavy situations and blow in shootouts in those kinds of games but that's going to put a cap on his overall impact it's, it's it wouldn't be surprised if he has an impactful season but that impactful season is 500 yards yeah I I, I totally agree like he's not going to ever be a guy that puts up like huge numbers he's not going to be like Wes Welker type volume out of the slot right at at any point in this offense I think yeah absolutely agree with the fact that like he's going to be a guy that finds a role in those pass heavy situations it's going to be when they want to spread things out a little bit more put more receivers on the field because yeah he's not a guy that fits the mold of where they're going there I mean when you have guys like uh, like I said Debo and Ayuk and and uh, everybody that they're adding there and it's wanting to um, basically within kind of their base offense, not give you keys on on kind of what guys are going to be doing, right? We don't want to have one guy that's locked into this position that we know is going to run, you know, maybe just this handful of routes. Like we want to be able to use these guys, like you said, in more positionless football, right? Line them up in the backfield sometimes, line them up out wide, line them up in the slot. Guys that can do a bunch of different things, that's going to be the core group of players that they stick with, assuming, you know, obviously all those guys are healthy as well. Um, and so, yeah, it's not going to ever be a high volume situation, but I do think there is a role for him. All right. And last question in this section, it's going to be from Caleb Sutherland on Twitter. Do you believe that Mike McGlinchey is a keystone tackle for the franchise long-term or down the line when he needs an extension? Could you see him being moved like DeForest Buckner? And that DeForest Buckner trade has got Niner fans shook. Yeah, dude. It's it, like it, not knowing is sacred at this point. <laughs> right. It was, it was not something that you expected. And so, I mean, I think... Uh, it's funny because if this, if you would have asked whether I thought that there was any chance that Buckner was going to get moved, you know, if you asked this question about him a year ago, I would have been like, yeah, absolutely. He's a key player on this defense. Like I'm expecting him to get an extension and, and be a 49er for quite a while. Um, and so I think you, you always have to say that, you know, you never say never with any of these guys. And, and I think, you know, if the right storm of circumstances happened to come about when, when he was due for an extension, um, could they move them? Like, yeah, it seems like the team is going to be open to those things if, if they come about with what they showed us from the Buckner deal. But um, I think tackle is, is definitely a position that they value heavily. Um, I think they want to have good, high-quality players there. They're going to invest a lot of resources in that position. 
Um, and so, yeah, I, I have every expectation right now that he's going to be around um, for quite a while. Yeah, I think because of the position he plays and because he was drafted by the team, he he is going to be a bit more untouchable than DeForest Buckner. Because um, DeForest Buckner, you have to remember, was not drafted by this regime. He, yep. you know, he'd, he'd been around for a bit. And so I think the team is going to feel more of an attachment to Mike McGlinchey than, than they did to DeForest Buckner, even if they, they are um, both very, very good players. So I don't think that McGlinchey will get moved. Um, but the, the point is, is interesting. All right, last question for the mailbag is going to come from Alex on Twitter. David, pick two of these players to defend you. The rest are going to try to kill you. The player list is Javon Kinlaw, Eric Armstead, George Kittle, Nick Bosa, Fred Warner. Who is defending you and who is trying to kill you? Uh, yes, I'll take the two six six plus 300-pound-plus defensive linemen, please. Um, put them on my side. Kinlaw and so you're going to go with Javon Kinlaw and Eric Armstead. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So uh, and and that means that George Kittle, Nick Bosa, and Fred Warner are trying to kill you. Um, now, what what kind of scenario is this? Are we talking about like a Hunger Games scenario? Are we talking about like a mock drill scenario? Are we on a football field? These are the questions I've got to know. I need details before I can commit here. Look, all I know is I've got two defensive linemen that are huge with huge, like, like I got three other guys coming at me. Well, they got four arms, right? I still got an arm free from one of those guys. Like, this is, <laughs> come on. Like, what are we even doing here? Like, it's a no-brainer that you're taking those dudes, taking the defensive players. I, the, the player that was tempting, I will say, is like, you want to kind of have Kittle on your side, just because, yeah, of see, you for me, Kittle, Kittle on your side, but Kittle would be on my side. Kittle would be one of the guys that would be trying to defend me only because uh, of his general relentlessness. Like size and strength is great, but effort and endurance is going to win every time. I don't know what that looks like for Javon Kinlaw, and, and I know what that looks like for Eric Armstead. I think George Kittle, despite the size discrepancy, is still not a small man. Like we're still talking about big humans. Sure. Uh, but so, there's a so difference. Yeah, so, is he six I'm, I'm, seven, three hundred plus pounds and shredded? Absolutely. Yeah, not. but again, if we're in an open area and not an enclosed space, then guess what? That speed to protect is gonna be super important. We're You're talking def- about sluggish people trying to we're get in you. We're in a defensive posture here. We're gonna sit back and let them come to us, all right? We ain't chasing those little fuckers around. <laughs> You know, and the other person I think like Javon Kinlaw would be someone that I would maybe choose over Eric Armstead only because Javon Kinlaw sees some shit, dude. That dude's been homeless. That guy's lived in a car. Like he knows, he knows grit. He knows what it's like to protect things at all costs. And so like, I'm looking at that, at that just mindset. And I'm like, yes, I want that mindset fighting for me, not trying to get me. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, for me, this was like I spent a half second considering Kittle, and then I was like, no, that's stupid. What am I doing? Of course I'm going with those two. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm always going to take George Kittle on my side. The athleticism, the speed, the schutzpah, chutzpah. I don't even know how to say it. I don't speak Yiddish. Uh, is that Yiddish? I don't know. Uh, but but this is those are the, I'm going with George Kittle and Javon Kinlaw. Those are my dudes. All right, have fun losing. <laughs> that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. We hope that you stay subscribed so that when the fee transfers over, you see no interruption in service. But check out bluewire.com for all future Better Rivals episodes. Thanks so much to everyone at Vox Media, SB Nation, and Niners Nation for the last two years. It's been one hell of a ride. And for the last time, 
on SB Nation and Niners Nation. As always, go Niners.